Welcome to the Leading for Good podcast. I'm Elaine Herdman Barker, co-founder of Global Leadership Associates. In this series, we'll be talking with special guests who are transforming leadership. We'll be asking leaders how they tip the world towards the good, learning about ways we can stretch our thinking and discovering so much more about a leader's footprint. With strategic thinkers from all over the world, we'll investigate just what leading for good means today. Hello, I'm chatting today with Kate Eisler about what it means to be a woman and a leader. Kate is co-founder and CEO of the W Marketplace, an e-commerce platform supporting women-owned businesses. She's a mentor of the International Women's Forum and serves on the global board of Girl Rising a nonprofit focused on girls' education and empowerment. And she's co-founder of Be Bold Now, which celebrates the courage and contribution of women. Welcome, Kate. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I wonder if we could start by talking about access, the access that women have to senior decision-making roles. Is it folly, I wonder, to believe that gender parity exists today? Because on our current trajectory, equality in the highest positions of political power will not be achieved for 130 years. That's according to a global calculation from UN Women. And even in the world of business, despite moves in the right direction, 426 of the Fortune 500 companies had male CEOs as of March this year. And yet this matter of equal access to decision-making roles is perhaps still one of the more controversial issues around. I don't know if it will surprise you, but I was asked only this week, why are you talking about this? So Kate, why are we talking about this? And why does access and equality matter so much that you've upended your business life to act on it? Oh, my gosh, that is we could talk for days about this question. <laughs> and and it is something that I'm very passionate about because we are nowhere near access to decision making in an equal way as women. I think that, as you said, 130 years, I look towards the World Economic Forum's gender gap report often. And I believe that there is such disparity between men and women and the equality and the perception of equality because it is it is ingrained in our culture, all of our culture globally, that there is a difference between men and women. And it is taught in our religious institutions, it's taught in our schools, and just by cultural practice. And so when we think about do women and men show up equally and are treated equally, there's no question that they are not. And I believe that we're still talking about it because looking at the data around it is not a common practice. The assumption is, is that if women are seen in society, then they're obviously treated equally, which is actually not accurate at all. I wonder if we overestimate in society and in businesses what we know about women's access to senior decision-making roles. We talk about the impact of our race, our gender, 
and where we live? But do we really pay attention to the now readily available data? The short answer is no, or we wouldn't actually believe that it was equal. What oftentimes happens is we have an experience or we have an example that we know about, and we use that as the rule. Because it's easy for us to think about it in that way and to say, oh, well, you know, this person is a senior leader. I know this Black woman who is leading this company, so clearly everything's good. And I believe that if you look around and really, you know, as as you looked at those Fortune 500 companies and you come down that ladder and look at senior leadership anywhere and look at the makeup, it is not 50-50. It is not representational of our population anywhere. And yet there are women leading social movements worldwide. Last year, we saw it from Iran to India to America. And here in the UK, at the tail end of the year, women sought better childcare support with the pregnant then screwed protest. Yet still across the globe, many women have less rights than their mothers had. Change doesn't seem to be following a linear path, does it? We have examples of women who are leading and making decisions and are very powerful, but that is not the truth for most women. I know in the U.S. we are 51% of the population and in government roles we're 23%. When I think about we celebrated after our November elections that women finally broke the nine-state barrier of governorships. So we have 13 women governors out of 50. So we are by no means representing the median. And then in business, it is the same way. I have read many studies that say when there are two women out of 10, the common understanding is there are plenty, there's a representation, that's enough. Which you would look at that, that really is not representational. And so in in terms of what you've done about it, because you don't simply talk about it, Kate, do you? You have actually gone out there and you have taken action. How did you come to do that? What was your story around this? So, you know, the, the abridged version of the story is I worked in technology for what I tend to think of as about 200 years. And so quite some time, most of my career. And I had opportunities, so I don't want to misrepresent that. I had many opportunities. I took them. And through my career, I began to develop quite a passion for promoting women because there were few, and I worked in different places in the world. And I learned early on about International Women's Day. And I was so heartened by that celebration because One of the things that it did was celebrate women across a wide spectrum of contributions we make in society. So my young childhood and early adult was in the U.S., and so we celebrated Mother's Day exclusively. That's where you celebrate women. Well, not all women are mothers. You know, there are so many other contributions that we make culturally, in society, economically, politically. And so I felt really compelled to do something about that. And I started an organization in the U.S. when I came back from my overseas career to celebrate International Women's Day. And so I wanted to recognize that, the be bold now. So, Kate, what were you realizing about gender equality as you moved forward? 
Did you see it as genuine change or was it more a bit of a sham? We hit the pandemic and I started to look at women taking the impact of the pandemic so disproportionately. It was hitting the economics of women because we were losing our jobs. We were going in those traditional roles, childcare, earning less so you stay home. And I thought there has to be something that we can do that I can do to help them. And so, you know, obviously coming from technology, it was an online shopping site for women-owned businesses. And when I think about that, it is products and services for women. It is a place for women to contribute economically and actually grow economically by owning their own business and supporting their own business. And did you feel as part of that that taking action on creating an e-commerce site that there was structural disadvantage in the system towards women entrepreneurs? Oh, absolutely. So I can give you lots of statistics around that. Women receive in the U.S. less than 2% of the investment venture funding for their businesses. And the, the bar is quite high for women to receive any type of investment. There is certainly financial due diligence that we go through, but the, the questions and the bar to invest in a woman is very different. You hear the investment in male entrepreneurs because they're hot shots and they're young and they have a great idea. That is not the case with women. They could have the greatest ideas, but the bar for investing in them is historically higher. And what we found was that women oftentimes are not banked in small businesses because banks don't give them loan money as easily. I experienced a lot of that. I went to a large bank to try and open a bank account for this venture. The bank that I had done business with, with my nonprofit, with people now for years, and they would not give me credit, not a credit card, because it was a new entity, which was astonishing. So despite women starting 49% of businesses in the US in 2021, which was an uptake of about 28% since 2019, you still see obstacles continuing to be in their way. Systemically, we don't favor women-owned businesses growing. They're small businesses. They're seen as very cottage and they are great. You, You stay in your home and do that business. And that is not my vision. My vision is to grow a platform for women to grow large businesses and to be economically solvent through those businesses. And I'll tell you that our industry, our government funding and grants, there is a program that is set asides that is specifically for underrepresented and women-owned businesses. So there are funding, depending on the industry you're in, and e-commerce businesses for women are excluded from receiving any of those set-asides for underrepresented businesses. And what do you make of that? Let that sink in for just a minute. (laughs) Just taking that. What do you make of that, that Kate? What does that represent? That represents a, a hierarchy of business that is the norm, that is men run businesses and they run the big businesses. So if you think about all the large technology platforms that we do business on and that we engage in socially, 
not one of them is owned by a female. Yeah. So the money to fund that and to help investment and growth of business and support of business is excluded. I'm not eligible for any of those funds. And that's, is that in the US you're referring to? That is absolutely in the US. Okay. Picking up on this notion of there being a structural disadvantage, do you see the corporate environment as being something that is less nourishing for women leaders? It is often described as individualistic, competitive, and that can play to self-interest. Was that your experience? And are you saying this disadvantages women? Yes, I had lots of that experience. I, you know, I feel very fortunate because I saw that regularly. There were very few women, certainly when I started my career in technology, very few of us. I had opportunities and I'm thankful for them because I raised my hand and said, I'd like to do this. And there was a lot of head scratching as a young woman to do that. And as I would say, unfortunately, there is still such a traditional vibe to that. I was young, I was married, I had a child. And so there would be a lot of extra questioning of, do you really want to do that? Can you really travel? Can you, you know, why would you do that? And so I don't believe that that has changed. Interesting. And picking up on your comment about the IT industry, I read recently in the Guardian newspaper, Martha Lane Fox commenting that in the UK technology industry, gender balance has not progressed for 25 years. She also claimed the industry still has problems with hiring enough people from different class and racial backgrounds. I think, unfortunately, the pandemic has created more of that. I think that traditional roles in businesses have gotten more difficult for women during the pandemic. As we think about working from home and those that are fortunate enough to actually have positions where they can do that, they are still seen to or assumed to be responsible for the household along with work. And so I saw that, you know, I saw it through my career most definitely. And then I see it happening rampantly today. And I think it is something that we all have to be very aware of. It's hard. Change is very hard. Cultural change, corporate culture change is very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult. And you have to be aware that there's an issue to make any change in that issue. That makes me wonder about the business you've set up. It's a woman-only business. And I mentioned at the start being asked, why are we having this conversation today? I think a subterranean question in there was, how does this relate to leading for good? There was probably a provocation in there that women-only initiatives are exclusive your business is an exclusive business. And that could be seen as landing blows against everyone else, landing blows against the system, creating division. Could your passion for improving quality actually put you on the wrong side of a shifting cultural debate? A debate that is more about inclusion with everyone involved, everyone considered. Are you prepared to lose here 
in order to win equality? There is a lot to unpack there. So at first, you know, my my surface answer is if we were all starting at the same starting point, absolutely. You know, we want to be inclusive and we want to have the same advantages. We are not. We are not starting at the same starting point. And so we are very focused on creating an environment for women to gain economic access and to gain ground on their economic platform. We hear wage parity talked about a lot. Women are not equal. And I don't think that there's any real question about that anywhere in the world. We have not achieved wage parity. The way for women to grow their economic platform is to invest or to own their own business or inherit. So those are the three accelerators to women's economic growth. And so when I think about, are we excluding? We don't mean to exclude men, but we want to give advantage to women so that we can reach equality. And it's not a zero sum game. It's not about men have to lose so we can win. That is not the aim. It is, let's create a place that is focused on supporting women and supporting women's needs and making up that ground between men and women. The demographics of our marketplace is very inclusive. So when I think about underrepresented businesses and and underrepresented populations, we have over 500 women-led businesses on the platform. We are just under 30% Black-owned. We are 11% AAPI and around 8% Latina, 2% veteran, and 2% LGBTI. And so we are a very diverse group of people that are working together. We just happen to have gender in common. And so I don't think, you know, when I think about being exclusive, that is not the point. We are being inclusive and trying to make up a gap to equality, not to surpass. And that's a really important point. I did hesitate to ask that question as it raises the specter of softening a boundary, a radical line that you're perhaps wishing to create. Do you think there's something radical about what you're doing? Do you feel you're making a radical move in how you speak about gender equity, about women's space and women's entrepreneurial opportunities? Is a dividing line necessary to throw light on the issues you're raising? So I I smile when I think about that answer, because in some circles, absolutely, I am creating a very uncomfortable situation. Because the one thing I will tell you is that I'm unyielding about gender equity, because we are not there. And it is extremely uncomfortable for people to recognize that. I mean, that's very hard to say, Gosh, I, you know, I am and I don't I don't intend to exclude people or treat them different. But again, I go back to culturally, we are all very much living in an inequitable world when it comes to gender. And so, yes, I create a really difficult position for some people. I am very adamant and very much unyielding. I am going to push the boundaries and say no to people and say, we're going to continue to fight for gender equality. Again, I I am always really adamant about not at the expense, 
but growing the marketplace. That is not a bad thing in any stretch. Your willingness to live with difficult conversations seems born of life experience, is it? I have three sons and a husband, so I'm outnumbered in my house. And so I know this well. And we talk about it, you know, because I'm a human and I live in this culture and my family has is quite supportive. And I say, hmm, did you really say that? Or did you mean that? And this is how I heard that. And it's not always an easy conversation, even in my house. And so I will say, I push forward. I don't expect to land easily or softly all the time. And it just, you know, again, it is a very difficult mindset change to make this change. Are you seeing signs of hope? Is there anything you've seen either in the business community or elsewhere that inspires, inspires support for gender equity, inspires support for women leaders? Absolutely. I see this all the time. I don't think that we will ever go back to complete ignorance about the topic. I think as we gain awareness and as we talk about it, and I look at young women and young men, their realities and their experience are very different than mine. Their vocabulary is very different around gender equity than mine was when I was young. And their expectation around that is not the same. Their expectation is this is something that we are going to have and why wouldn't it be normal for us? And I see that Be Bold Now speaks to young women often and we call them bold circles. And so talking to those young women about their experiences at school, in their community, in their first jobs, they are really coming in with the frame of reference that women and men are certainly equal. That is not the frame of reference I brought to my first positions or or into school. And so I see huge progress. I also see that, you know, we talk about the data and the more we talk and the more of that data is given an opportunity to be shared like today, there's an awareness. And I don't think that there is a huge push to stifle the data or to be unaware. I think it is as we teach, as we gain traction for information, we share that information in a way that is inclusive, as you said. And I think that's a really important point. It's not about hitting people over the head with the data. It is shocking sometimes, but it is really to share that data in terms of education and be aware and we can look at how our behaviors affect that data. And so I see change and I see an appetite for change across a very wide spectrum. I just think it's going to take longer than I have patience for. And what might further unite people generally in their efforts to create better gender equity? I think it is the open mind. That's a hard thing to achieve, but I think it's open mind. And I think it is really continuing to talk about the fact that it is not to overtake, it is to become even. And that is the point of all of this. It is, we have a lot of people who take the data out of context or think that gender equity is, well, women want to just rule the world. 
you know, offhand. And I don't think that's the case. I think that we need to continually stay the course and say, no, actually, we just want to rule alongside. We want to be right next to you to do that versus three steps behind. And that's the point. And so, you know, when I go back to your earlier around being inclusive, it is about, it's all about being inclusive. It is about focusing on those segments of the population gender that has not been included. And it's about pushing them to inclusion. And so I do see signs of progress in the world. When you look at some of the Nordic countries and New Zealand and those countries that have women leaders, fantastic, lovely. But then I saw the news this week where you had two of the women leaders, New Zealand, and I believe it was Norway speaking. And the press asked, were they speaking together because they were women versus they were both leaders of their countries, which drove them to have a discussion about leading their countries. So you can see that there's still some barriers and some surprise and there's discomfort with the fact that women are taking those positions. And it leads me to wonder, Kate, when we think about leading for good, is gender equity and inclusion an essential part of what we now expect of organisations and societies? if they are to be considered just and ethical? I think that it is the most important part of leading for good. I don't think you can achieve leading for good without that equitable leadership. Because from a a representation of customer base, you are looking at a population that is not homogeneous. It is not just one gender. And that goes for every customer base that I can think of and every population that I can think of. There is not a homogeneous environment. And when I think about the richness you get with diversity in leadership, both from a gender and a cultural and a ethnic basis that you can't miss that. And I don't think that you can be strong and solid and successful for the long term without taking those things into consideration. And I think that goes for businesses of all sizes. I mean, we are a small team at the moment, but our advisors and our extended team is gender diverse for sure. Our team is not homogeneous in terms of age or cultural background because that's not our customer base. And we don't think we can be representative and successful without that depth of diversity. And Kate, final question, if I may. What would you like us to challenge ourselves with? A question that is going to move the needle on gender equity. Oh my gosh, there's there's a few, but I think the most interesting one is a few is good. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the the top line ones I would say is, what do you consider gender equitable? Really, is it fifty percent? Is it twenty five percent? What do you consider? And where are you now? Realistically, where are you now? I listen to leaders talk regularly about, well, we're, we're absolutely, we divide our 
spending. We have DEI, so diversity and inclusion goals that we have set for our organization. How many of you are acting on them and where are you towards those goals right now? And I get a little bit of a puzzled look oftentimes because I don't think we ask the question. We say, here's the solution, set a goal. But we don't ask ourselves, where are we to that goal? And what practices are we using to achieve that goal? That is a business standard. How many women at which levels of your organization will it take to get an equitable leadership? And I don't think that people could answer that question off the top of their heads. Thank you, Kate. Leave everyone with that question to challenge ourselves with. Thank you very much for today. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed talking about it. And thank you for the opportunity to raise awareness for it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for our latest episode. Take a look at our show notes for more links and information. And be sure to join us for a future episode when I chat to Dr. Jan Bertel, a fellow and specialist advisor in coaching and mentoring to the Royal College of Psychiatrists here in the UK. Until then, goodbye.